It's the Hear Me Now podcast. I'm Sean Collins. All over the U.S. this week, families and friends and neighbors are gathering around long tables, piled high with lots of good things, enveloped by the sounds of storytelling. In fact, this episode of our podcast is being released on Thursday morning, Thanksgiving Day, and there's a chance that someone out there, right at this very moment, is listening to us as they drive over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house for a meal that focuses on gratitude. And gratitude is what we're going to be talking about today, specifically the health benefits of gratitude. My guest for the episode is Dr. Robin Henderson, Chief Executive for Behavioral Health at the Oregon Region of Providence and the Chief Clinical Officer for Work to Be Well. Dr. Robin, it's always great to talk with you. Welcome back and happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Sean. I am so looking forward to talking about gratitude at this time of year. Got a lot to be grateful for this year. As we begin to think about the health benefits of gratitude, I want us to start by listening to one man's story. We're going to call him J.D., and we agreed not to identify him beyond that. His words are going to be read by an actor. J.D.'s story includes descriptions of suicidal ideation and planning. If you're thinking of harming yourself, please call or text in English or Spanish in Espanol o Inglés 988. That's the number for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Help is available. When I spoke with JD earlier this week, I began by asking about wellness and being grateful. JD, do you think that there are health benefits to gratitude? There are absolutely health benefits to gratitude. It, it completely changed my thinking. I went from thinking about suicide at all times on my best days the happiest moments of my life, I thought about suicide. I could be having a perfect day, and in the back of my head, there was the voice that kept reminding me I could just end it all. It was my exit strategy that if things ever got unbearable, that, that I could get out, and that would solve, or at least in my head, that would solve the pain that I constantly felt. I'll give a little backstory. From the time I was eight... I began to notice I was depressed. That's my earliest memory. By the time I was 14, I began to have suicidal ideation. And my first real memory of suicidal thoughts was sitting on the side of my bed alone in my bedroom. And I had an old cap gun that I had probably gotten years before because I was 14. I wasn't playing with cap guns. And I remember putting it to my head and wishing it were real. I had begun a friendship with a girl down the street, and she was about a year and a half older. And shortly after I turned 14, I remember taking that cap gun with me to her house one day. And I remember I knocked on the door. She opened it. I put the gun to my head and I pulled the trigger and then I laughed it off. I still remember the shock on her face. And then from then on, for the next 25 years or more, suicide was always a part of my thinking. And so when I was in my late 30s, 
that cancerous thought had grown so big that I knew I was coming to the end of my life that I couldn't go on anymore. I bought the book Final Exit. I still have very vivid memories of purchasing that book. I already knew how I would end my life. I, I knew that this would be the week and I began to systematically cancel all of my plans in the evening. And it seems like, in my memory, it seems like there was something going on every night, like dinner with friends or something. And I would cancel them. And I knew that Sunday would be the night and I was going to do it Sunday night. I, I won't say how I was going to do it, but I was going to do it in my garage. And I, I knew I lived in an apartment and I knew Sunday night would be the best time to do it. And it came to the weekend. And again, I've canceled everything. And then Sunday morning, a friend of mine showed up at my door. I forgot to cancel plans with him. And we had plans to go for a hike. And I really didn't want to go. And I thought, I'll go. I didn't want to tip anybody off. So I thought, I'll go. We went for a really long hike. During the course of that hike, I realized I wasn't ready yet. But I needed a ladder, something to help me climb out of the hole that I had dug for over 25 years. I heard someone talk about a gratitude journal. Write three things in it every day that you're grateful for. And so I thought, well, let me try this. And I remember sitting down, my first memories of it were at work, and I would write things, and I wrote crazy things that I was thankful for. I was thankful for everything, for the air that I breathed, for my ex, all the good experiences, and all the bad experiences we had. And then I began to search for other things that I felt had pained me, had wronged me or whatever. And I thought, let me give thanks for those, in addition to all the things that I truly felt grateful for. And I, I began to do this all day. And I would just write. I wrote feverishly at times. And I filled up, I don't know, I filled up three journals of books. And I think I, I may still have them somewhere. Everything I was grateful for. And, and over the course of, I don't know, weeks or months, I could begin to feel like the depression and the suicidal ideation lessening as I began to fill these journals. And then I began to do it verbally or even silently as I moved about my day so that it was consciously giving thanks all day long. I'm curious if you have a sense that your focus on gratitude was pushing aside the suicidal ideation, or do you have a sense that your practice of gratitude was somehow rewiring your brain? Oh, I definitely think it was rewiring my brain. I was taught to essentially hate myself. I was taught that through religion because I was gay. And I knew I was gay from the time I was a small child. And so I was taught I was unworthy of good, of, of heaven, of grace. And so by me teaching myself gratitude, I, I truly felt like I was able to change my thinking. And I think I changed my wiring, which had been so ingrained in me over decades. I don't know if it's chemical makeup or whatever in my brain, but I was definitely able to change it. And it took a while. And long after I stopped writing in the journals, as I said, I would give verbal thanks or silent thanks as I moved about my day. And I did it constantly. I don't do it constantly anymore, but I don't have suicidal ideation and I don't suffer from depression. Now, I will say here, I was never clinically diagnosed with depression. 
I don't think I needed to be. And that this worked for me. I may be the only person it works for. I don't know. But I've shared this with others. And I have said, I was able to retrain my brain. That's how I've always phrased it. And I said, it worked for me. I don't know if it'll work for you, but it worked for me. So yeah, I definitely think I was able to rewire my synapses in my brain through this. Earlier, you mentioned that religious thinking played a part in your depression. I'm curious whether today you find that your practice of gratitude has any sort of spiritual component to it. Probably a spiritual component. I, I never thought of it that way. But I think that that would probably be correct. I do think that there's probably a spiritual component still. When I feel like I've been, I'll say, wronged in some way, whether I feel like somebody insulted me or ignored me or whatever, something that, that stung a little bit, I don't take it in the same way. And I think that's because I can look at it. What do I learn from this? That's sort of my rallying call. What have I learned? What did this negative moment teach me? And that allows me to give a positive spin on pretty much everything. JD, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Well, thank you. Hopefully somebody might benefit from learning to be grateful for everything. That's JD. His words were read for us by an actor. If you're thinking of harming yourself, please call or text in English or Spanish in Espanol o Inglés 988. Marque 988. That's the number for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Help is available. Back to Oregon now and our friend, Dr. Robin Henderson. A powerful story there, I think, from JD. Pretty impressive. And you know, he's not wrong when he talks about feeling that this practice of gratitude overwrote his brain. That literally can happen. You know, we can create new synapses and we should we should kind of get into and talk about that. But there's a lot of science behind gratitude. In preparation for talking to you, uh, we asked the medical library staff at Providence to do a literature search for us. And one of the articles that we ended up pulling to read was one of these meta-analysis studies that looks at previous research mm -hmm. on gratitude and health benefits. Do you want to guess at how many articles they started with in that study? <laughs> 5,522. There were more than 5,000 current peer-reviewed studies in scholarly journals on the topic of gratitude and health. Yeah. And there's a good reason for that. I mean, we know gratitude is a big part of mindfulness practices. The current thinking that we have about how we retrain our brains to think in a positive way, as opposed to where we're inclined to go in a negative way. And you know, you're, you're talking about centuries of brain training where everything in your environment is perceived as a threat. You know, when we were running around, uh, carrying the spears, running away from the lion that was going to eat us, everything was a, a threat. And when you have a body and a mind that's been trained for centuries to see the world as a threat, you have to start to overwrite that in a different way. Yeah. What, what's the term of art that gets used to describe that? Um, 
neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That you can rewire your head. It's it's not just a metaphor. You can change the pathways that are being activated. You literally can. You can change the pathways. You can change, you know, we, we sometimes call them the happy chemicals, serotonin and dopamine, and how we get um, our bodies and our brains to release serotonin and dopamine. And we, we know in those 5,000 studies, several of them talk about the benefits of gratitude in increasing serotonin and dopamine. Even watching someone else be grateful, watching someone else practice gratitude can increase our own release of serotonin and dopamine. And as it does that, we're rewriting those pathways in our brain. We're reducing our depression. We're reducing anxiety. We're reducing our blood pressure. Dr. Robin, I'd like to read you something. This is from the discussion in one of those studies that I mentioned just a moment ago. I I think I like this because it provides a really nice catalog um, of the benefits of gratitude. And it's written in pretty plain English. The authors write, participants who underwent gratitude interventions had greater feelings of gratitude, greater satisfaction with life, better mental health, and fewer symptoms of anxiety and depression. Moreover, they had other benefits, such as more positive moods and emotions, greater appreciation and optimism, more pro-social behavior, less worry, and less psychological pain. That is just such an impressive list of benefits. If if you could bottle gratitude and sell it at the pharmacy, I'm guessing a whole lot of people would be making a whole lot of money. It's it's just such a powerful set of benefits. It is. It's it's like better than 10,000 steps in some respects. And, and we talk a lot about those types of things, but the other thing that I think gratitude and the and the practice of gratitude does is it can be societally infectious. When someone expresses gratitude to me, right? I feel the need to be I I am then inspired to be grateful to someone else. It's kind of like that pay it forward thing that happens in the in the coffee line sometimes. Well, I'm really grateful and and so I'm going to buy the the guy behind me a cup of coffee and it goes on and on and on and on. Gratitude can be a very infectious practice. You mentioned earlier that there was evidence that there is a benefit to witnessing people being grateful. That resonates with me. I have experienced feelings of well-being when I'm interacting with people who are grateful for whatever life throws at them. That's that idea that when you see, you know, and this is this is part of why I think as we go into Thanksgiving, we have this opportunity to practice gratefulness with intention, which is something society has kind of lost a little bit. We don't see our evening news starting with the practice of gratefulness and what we're thankful for. Sometimes some channels might end with that. It's that heartwarming tag story in the last, you know, 90 seconds of your newscast. But we lead with what's contentious. We lead with what's violent. We lead with what is going to get that kind of a reaction. Yeah. If it bleeds, it leads, they say. That's right. And in this very polarized world we're living in right now, where where we've got these polarized opinions on on both sides of seemingly everything, what we don't see people talking about is what's going well. What we see people talking about is what's dividing and, and crossing. 
And gratitude is something that can actually shape and shift and change those conversations. If you're upset with someone and you find something to be grateful for, find something to appreciate, something to thank them for, it's harder and harder to be angry and see them as an other. I wonder if it's even possible to simultaneously hold toxic thoughts about someone and thoughts of gratitude or empathy or compassion in regard to that person. My guess is it's not. It's hard to hold those two things simultaneously. Um, and it takes a level of intention when you're in a toxic relationship. It takes a, a huge level of intention to find the things to be grateful for. And in some respects, you know, I don't want to mistake gratefulness for codependence or for, you know, victimization or any of those types of things. It, it really is more finding what is it in this, this external source that's giving you a positive outcome that you are feeling good about. And that's, that's a really interesting dynamic. You know, I can have a toxic relationship with somebody and no longer have that relationship and be grateful for the experiences that it gave me. Yeah, that's the thing about JD's story that really impressed me. It's his ability to be grateful for negative stimulus because it teaches him something. That just seems like profound, saintly, <laughs> bodhisattva-level thinking. I think sometimes we refer to that almost as a reframe, but it's a reframe in a different way. It's it's a reframe because you're you're actually looking at how that practice of gratitude, how finding what is the silver lining in the cloud that I can be grateful for, that really starts to then, you know, release those chemicals in our brain make us feel better, make us associate gratitude with positive feelings, with higher self-esteem, with the reinforcement time and time and time again, that this is actually going towards the greater good. Dr. Robin, let's talk um, about some practical aspects of this. I would love to hear from you tips on how to begin a practice of gratitude or strengthen your innate sense of gratitude. Share with us some pointers. Yeah. You know, practicing gratitude and making, making those decisions isn't as tough as it looks. You know, JD talked about the ability to journal and do journaling, which is great. Writing down that practice of actually committing pen to paper, whether it's pen to paper or you're, you're doing it on a blog or however it is that you do it. There's something to be said for not just thinking it, but actually putting it into a document of some kind, right? There's the idea of gratitude jars. You know, I have a gratitude jar that somebody gave me uh, for a birthday long ago where, where people wrote things that they were grateful to me about. Those are hard things to read, right? People are telling you that they're grateful for you and here's why. But having a gratitude jar where you yourself are putting in, what am I grateful for today? And when you're feeling ungrateful, having the ability to pull something out and go, wow, you know, I, I was grateful for a beautiful sunrise this morning. I was grateful because Sean bought me a cup of coffee. You know, whatever it is, having that gratitude jar serves a couple of different purposes. It's committing and writing down that practice of thinking of two or three things that you're grateful for every day and then having them available when maybe you need that pick me up. Thank you cards. You know, we don't think about it anymore. We think it's a dated practice or whatever. But the art of writing out a handwritten note to somebody doesn't have to be long. 
and sending it to them and telling them why you're grateful can be an enormous boost, not just for you, but imagine what that feels like to the person who receives the thank you card. You thought of me, you took the time, you bought a stamp, all the things that we do. And simplify that, you know, to today where send a text, just send a random text to somebody saying, you know, I'm grateful for you today because X. And what if we all did that, you know, two, three times a day to just somebody random in our contacts list? Said, I'm grateful for you today because how would that make you feel receiving that text? Just saying, those are some of the things that we can do. But I think there's also benefits to practicing gratitude in the workplace. You know, we talk a lot about employee engagement and how we keep people engaged. And and here's what we know. Improving employee morale starts with making employees feel valued. And one of the ways that we make employees feel valued is to thank them, honestly thank them for what they do. How do we create incentives that, that it takes just a couple minutes to send that email back that says, hey, I'm grateful for you today. I'm grateful you did that. Good job. Anything that we can do to say, I'm an external source coming in to reinforce a positive outcome. That stuff gets noticed. It matters. It makes, it means, I know this is going to sound a little crazy, but it can mean more than money in terms of employee retention, especially in this job market. But it also strengthens interpersonal relationships. When you start a meeting or some other gathering with people and you start by going around the room and talking about what you're grateful for, Think of all the serotonin and all the creativity and all the dopamine that's going to come out of that. That's great. Let me ask you a strategy question. I I know there's someone listening to us who's thinking, this is Pollyanna-ish. You're looking at the world through rose-colored glasses. And I'm sure that this person believes that the most Mm -hmm. awkward two minutes of the year occur when the family goes around the table on Thanksgiving and says what they're grateful for. You're talking about the curmudgeon at the table, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I'm, I'm guessing most of those curmudgeons are guys. Emotions are scary and they're scary for a lot of people. And sometimes we equate gratitude with weakness or with that, that idea of, you know, if I if I let this shell crack and, and I show emotion, then I'm not the manly man, 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 you know, type of thing. In my humble opinion, the best way to crack that is with the things that that make their particular heart smile, whether it's the puppy or the niece or nephew who comes up and gives the hug and says the thing and makes it safe. But a lot of times it, it's also doing it in that group setting can be difficult for some people. It can be difficult for some people to share gratitude in a larger group environment. So how do we make it safe? Maybe it's that you you write it down on a card and everybody reads something from someone else. Um, maybe it's that, so it's not necessarily you expressing your direct gratitude for that, but it's you expressing somebody else's gratitude. And having to read somebody else's gratitude makes it a little less scary, you know, when it comes to your own. Finding ways to provide safety for people who are complicated. I mean, let's face it. A lot of what's underneath that is trauma and rejection and the things that JD talked about. And the way JD started their gratitude practice was very private, very personal, very individual. 
You know, one thing I could see happening at the Thanksgiving table is everyone being asked in a group to sit and reflect before the meal and write three things that they're grateful for on a slip of paper. And then don't read it out loud. Don't hand it to anyone else. Tell people to put that slip of paper in their pocket. And when they get home, pull it out and reflect on what those three things mean to them. So that you're encouraging people to participate in a group, in an exercise in gratitude, but then you're asking them in private to act on it and reflect on it. That's a great idea. I love that. I I think that's wonderful. Because for some people, when you're first starting out, being grateful can be so foreign that you're afraid you might do it wrong. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, um, has this incredible work called the Spiritual Exercises that's a treasure trove of wisdom. And one of the things that Ignatius recommends that people do is at the end of the day, do what he calls the examine. In other words, to take uh, a moment and reflect on what has happened to you and what you did during the course of the day and to categorize it a little bit. What went well? What didn't go well? Where did you see the divine working in people around you? What can you be grateful for? Uh, What do you want to do differently the next time something comes up that was challenging to you? And then at the end of the exam, to offer a prayer of thanksgiving, of gratitude. Ignatius uh, recommended doing that every night before you go to sleep. It's a wonderful practice. It is wonderful. Can you imagine what the world would be like if we all did that? What a wonderful place it would be. Yeah, 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 yeah. I will include a link to the exam um, from the spiritual exercises on our website, www.hearmenowpodcast.org. Dr. Robin, do you think there's anything that we could be doing as providers of healthcare to encourage people along these lines? I sort of jokingly made a crack earlier about if you could put gratitude in a bottle, you could sell it. But is there anything about providers encouraging their patients to help themselves in this way? I think there's, I think there's something to that. You know, I think about when, when you have an injury, uh, say to your, to your knee or your elbow or something like that. And the doctor says you go to PT and they give you the little piece of paper and you do the little exercise where, where you don't feel like you're doing anything at all. You know, that little, I'm going to stand on one tiptoe. I'm going to move my arm this way or that way. And, 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 and you do this every day for, for a week and then you go back in. That's that incrementalism. We're very comfortable with physical incrementalism as a way to heal, as a way to change, as a way to, you know, recover from an injury. We are less comfortable with mental incrementalism. So if we see that somebody is depressed or anxious, when we have behavioral health providers in primary care, and and Providence has a number of behavioral health providers in in primary care, in fact, in Oregon, all our primary care clinics have primarily psychologists embedded in primary care who are very, very comfortable giving people exercises that are basically mental incrementalism. And the idea that I'm going to ask you to 
change your thinking about this, do three things, do these things, practice this for a week, come back and tell me what this looks like. And I think we need to get more comfortable having maybe those little handouts that say, I just want you to try this for a week, you know, or want you to try this for two weeks and, and tell me how this makes you feel. And maybe it's the gratitude jar where you're writing down three things every night. Try that for two weeks and come back and send me a note and tell me how it feels. But we've got to get more comfortable making those types of prescriptions for people. Doesn't take a psychologist to tell you you need to practice gratefulness. Yeah. Imagine cardiologists encouraging people to adopt a practice of gratitude in an effort to achieve heart health. Imagine, imagine this. Say you're coming in to see your provider and your blood pressure's been elevated for a bit. So your your provider's considering putting you on blood pressure medication. Which would you rather do? Take blood pressure medication or practice gratefulness three times a day? And if we could get to the point where we're saying, this is what the science says. So before I go with my first line, I'm gonna give you a drug. I'm gonna ask you to try and step up and do one thing for yourself in this way. It's funny, cause you know, sometimes we'll, we'll prescribe people you need to exercise, you need to do your 10,000 steps, whatever it is that you need to do and, and eat right. And we think that these are the simple things to do. Um, and they do help and they do work. But we don't think about that overall, really how this gets into your brain and shifts your serotonin and your dopamine, which is what we're trying to do with all those other things. If we know that the simple act of being grateful and even talking about this, I have to, I have to tell you, Sean, even talking about this all this time, I could feel those chemicals in my head. I don't know if that's happening for you, but I could feel that sense in my head and that lightness in my head, just talking about the act of being grateful. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Yeah. Yeah. It's remarkable. It really is. Um, Dr. Robin, is there any data on what the maintenance dose is for gratitude? If you, adopted a new practice, um, is that neuroplastic change permanent or do you have to keep rehearsing the new pattern over and over to keep the practice effective? You know, there comes a point and, and we hear often people talk about the 10,000 hours for something to become a habit. And there's something to the 10,000 hours for something to become a habit. I think that we're still learning a lot about the long-term, what is the fix? When do I have to stop being grateful? When do I have to stop that? And theoretically, you know, when you think about the neuroscience of gratitude, think about it. If I'm being grateful and, and it has these positive impacts and it's changing all of these pathways, why at one point would it ever occur to me to stop doing it, right? Because those pathways have changed, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's a moment where every host of a podcast thinks, you know what? That was a really stupid question. <laughs> um, yeah, it, I think I was recommending the gratitude hiatus where you get to be a curmudgeon for a day and then go back to being grateful. But but it is funny. I mean, there's a lot of great research out there, whether it's the folks at UC Berkeley, the folks at UCLA. There's a lot of different places that talk about, you know, all of the science behind it and the permanent change that it makes. 
I mean, when you look at somebody who's like, okay, well, you're going to be better if you start running every day and you start jogging, you know, well, at what point do you get to stop running? Well, for people who are lifelong runners, they don't stop running until they can't. You know, this is something that we've talked about in previous episodes, but with that fire hose of social media um, aimed at us, often spewing out really toxic content that activates us and causes all that uh, fight or flight hormonal response. Um, it would seem that a practice of gratitude, of empathy, of mindfulness, of compassion, all those kindred virtues would be an antidote for some of that toxic content from social media and would help us come to some realization that we don't have to be consuming media constantly. It's okay to turn your phone off for 12 hours and do some other stuff. And I can also participate in the good of social media. I can post on my feed, what am I grateful for today? Oh, man. And encourage other people to do the same. What a brilliant idea. I'm going to try that. What, thank you. Dr. Robin Henderson, um, perhaps more than any other time that you've been on to chat, I feel like I need to say how grateful I am that you're sharing these ideas with us. I'm really thankful for you coming on to the show today. Well, I'm really grateful that, that you asked the question. Um, we need a lot more gratefulness in our world. We need a lot more of that ability to remember that it is the, the beauty of what's external that helps us remind us of what is positive in our lives and how we can see and be so grateful that somebody's holding up that mirror and helping me see what is positive in my life today. I hope everybody gets a little bit of that at Thanksgiving. Hey, I know you're a big pie fan. What's on the Thanksgiving table in the Henderson home? Well, I think I'm going with two pies this year. I've got a new recipe for my standard pumpkin pie that involves, of all things, cream cheese in the crust. It's a move. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Then you always have to have the standard operating house favorite key lime pie. Huh. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't love a good key lime pie on a dark and rainy day? Does your family have roots in Florida? I am a lifelong Oregonian with <laughs> long, long roots of Oregonian. I've always lived in Oregon or Washington. There's not a key lime around here. I just love the stuff. Yeah, what's not to love? Thanks again. I'm really grateful for the conversation. Can't wait for the next time that you come back and chat. Thanks for having me. Dr. Robin Henderson is Chief Executive for Behavioral Health at the Oregon Region of Providence and the Chief Clinical Officer for work to be well. We reached her in Portland. Our thanks too to JD. If you want to do more reading about the health benefits of gratitude, we've assembled a few resources for you, including a few journal articles and that Ignatian examine from the spiritual exercises that I mentioned. You'll find all of this on our website, hearmenowpodcast.org. The Hear Me Now podcast is a production of the Providence Health System and its family of organizations. Find us online, explore our archive, and subscribe at hearmenowpodcast.org. The program is produced by Scott Acord and Melody Fawcett. We have research help from medical library staff, 
Basha Dolovska Elliott, Sarah Viscuso, Carrie Grinstead, Scott Simonson, and Heather Martin. And we had production help this week from Jim Dryden. Our theme music was written by Roger Neal. The executive producer is Michael Drummond. I'm Sean Collins. Thanks for listening. Be well. Look ahead, the sea is calm, and I know we've been through a lot, but just wait. Mm, wait for better days to come and carry us like wind in our sails. It's right in front of us if we just 